Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. So uh, how'd you do? Thanksgiving, you, uh, you know, first service, I, I noticed that people seemed uh, incredibly well fed. <laughs> you understand, you could just look at a crowd and there's kind of like, uh, uh, having that, you know, post-Thanksgiving sigh, which is always good in church, you know. So we're thinking about Advent, ready or not, here we go, four weeks, uh, for the arrival of Christmas, and we're talking about hope and what that might mean. Being confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to see it through to completion. I think Paul is, in Philippians 1, he's, he's pulling the story down into a very personal application of what the whole of Scripture is telling us from Genesis through Revelation, that God's got a plan, and you can rest in the plan because he's going to work the plan. And it's not about how well you're doing or how well I'm doing or how much we've figured it out. God is going to work the plan, and we can rest in that. And sometimes it really matters that we take the cosmic teleological work of God and we personalize it. He who began a good, being confident of this, That he who began a good work will be faithful to see it through to completion. Can you say that? I mean, can you say that in your heart? I mean, I know you can say it, but can you you feel the weight of that applied to your personal story? I think the tradition of Boxing Day is a good tradition. I do not observe it, but I think it's a very good tradition. You understand? That the day after Christmas, we get rid of stuff. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, I think it's cool. I, I think the whole idea that, you know, Christmas is a time to acquire new things. And we love that part, don't we? I love acquiring new things. They need to be very specific. The older you get, the more specific the things you want to acquire are. When you're little, a lot of things can make you happy. When you're older, no, it's very highly defined. But we ought to get some new stuff. And then I think that tradition of saying, and now we're going to get rid of some old stuff. I mean, I have a fantasy about, you know, just owning a certain number of things and just keeping it super simple. I have a fantasy of being able to walk in my garage. <laughs> I, mean, just, I mean, how cool would that be? You know? How'd Dave die? Well, he tripped over something in his garage and things fell on him and we never saw him again. He's in there somewhere. So I think Christmas ought to, and I think emotionally, spiritually, we ought to see Christmas as a time to acquire some new things. But it also ought to be a time for us to get rid of some old things. And if I could ask you to breathe a prayer this Christmas, the prayer would center around this. God, for Christmas I want. And then when we exhale, and I'm getting rid of this, I'm getting rid of this. If I were to ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your level of hope, 1 being not very much, 10 being a lot, how would you grade your own level of hope? Now, before you do that, let's 
work on a couple of definitions about hope because I think we all have a different way of thinking about it. Always good to start with the Oxford Dictionary because, you know, they can't be wrong. And so this is the Oxford Dictionary definition of hope, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Hope. So in other words, according to Oxford Dictionary, hope is I wish. I wish for something. It's the same feeling we get when we blow out the candles on the cake. You know, there's no particular spirituality to it. There's no, you know, I just, I wish. I hope it works out. I desire for this thing. And so I'm hopeful. Well, that's interesting, but it's not the biblical definition of hope. If you took all of the words translated in the scripture as hope, the Hebrew and the Greek, you would find that they sort of center around an idea. And the idea is simply this, a strong and confident expectation, a trust and a willingness to wait expectantly. All through scripture, here's the idea. I'm not wishing for something. I'm hoping. I have a strong and confident expectation that he who began the good work will be faithful to see it through to completion. I'm not just depending on my own positive attitude. I'm not wishing in a sense that I'm telling myself I need to think this and not that. I have confidence. I have trust in the God who loves me, and I'm going to wait expectantly for God to do something good. Now, let's go back. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not very much, 10 being a lot, what's your level of hope? What's your level of hope? Good. We got a 10. Got a 10. This is the season of hope. In fact, traditionally, we're participating in an ancient celebration today, the first Sunday of Advent, centered around hope. <laughs> centered around hope. And so as we think about that, we... We sort of jump into some thoughts and ideas that no matter what happened to us, no matter what we did, no matter how we failed, no matter what other people did, no matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on, we are invited to participate as a part of this season. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. I am the light of life. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. Is that how you think? Is that what is going on in your brain? A few months ago I was in... Uh, the Czech Republic, more specifically, I was in the city of Prague, and uh, my first time, didn't, never been there before, had zero expectation, and this is what I found out. The city of Prague is really high on good King Wenceslas. Did you know that? I had no idea. In fact, my connection with good King Wenceslas is a, a, a sort of obscure Christmas carol. That's the only thing I know about him. So when I got to Prague and we, we toured our first cathedral, because everybody knows when you go to Europe, you're going to be in a few churches. It's just going to be that way. 
And everywhere we went, every cathedral in Prague that we entered, there's a section dedicated to good King Wenceslas. Yeah, easy for you to say, isn't it? <laughs> Not only that, but if you go downtown, there is a giant forum. There's a giant space that's called King Wenceslas Square. And in the middle of the square is a giant statue of good King Wenceslas astride his horse ready to do battle. I know nothing about this person, nothing, nothing beyond the Christmas carol, and I don't really know very much about that. <laughs> so it turns out that good King Wenceslas lived in the 10th century, and he wasn't a king, he was just a duke, he was a piece of royalty, not a king. And what is he famous for? What did he do that is so significant that he is now the patron saint of the Czech Republic? I mean, people like this guy a lot. He's everywhere. He's around when you go. Well, here's his story. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the Feast of Stephen. That's the day after Christmas, the second day of Christmas, if you will, the 26th. When the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even, brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was cruel, when a poor man came in sight, gathering winter fuel. Hither, page, and stand by me, if thou knowest it, telling yonder peasant, who is he, where, and what, his dwelling. Sire, he lives a good league hence, underneath the mountain, right against the forest fence, by St. Agnes' fountain. Bring me flesh, and bring me wine, and bring me pine logs hither. Thou and I shall see him dine, when we bear them thither. Page and monarch, forth they went, forth they went together, through the rude winds, wild lament, and the bitter wetter. Here's what he did. He saw a guy that was poor, and he helped him. That was it. Not just one, but a lot of people, evidently, in his time, what he did was he took his position of power and wealth and he used it to help people who were in need. It is fascinating to me how simple hope can be. I mean, you and I, we think hope has to be getting everything fixed. Amen? I mean, I'll have hope when we get everything. When the politics of the country get fixed, then I'll have hope. Good luck with that. I'll have hope when all my family issues get fixed. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> I don't know. I've lived long enough now to know this. I don't have the same problem. I don't have all the same problems I used to have. I have to clarify that. I still have some of the same problems I used to have. But I have brand new problems. Anybody else living like that? Yeah. And I just need everything to get worked. Uh, it's surprising and shocking to me that hope is so much simpler and it's so much nearer than we think. A strong and confident expectation. And there's some things this Christmas I need to acquire. And there's some things I need to get rid of. Isaiah is writing his prophetic work in the midst of chaos. He writes at a time when the world is in uh, an incredible amount of turmoil. Imagine a world in an incredible amount of turmoil. And it turns out that what's going on in the world is that there's a great battle for power. And Assyria has conquered the northern kingdom and they're threatening the southern kingdom. Isaiah lives in Jerusalem. He writes in Jerusalem. He writes in that period of time after the fall of the northern kingdom, but prior to the fall of the southern kingdom. And he's got the Assyrians who are, you know, bearing down on them. They're the most obvious threat. They're the world power. They're dominating. But on the rise is Babylon. And Isaiah speaks about Babylon. And it turns out that Babylon will ultimately be 
the nation that rises and destroys the southern kingdom. And so they're watching Babylon rise, and Isaiah's writing about that, and they're watching Assyria and its domination. He's writing about that, and he writes about Egypt and the fact that Egypt has sort of placed the southern kingdom in the middle in the juxtaposition between all of these empires. And so they have all these massive world powers that are growing and diminishing around them. And then they have their old traditional enemies, Moab and the, the Philistines and the Jebusites. They have all their old traditional enemies. And I don't know about you, but it seems like that would produce an incredible amount of anxiety. And it turns out that's what's going on. The world is in turmoil, and it's an issue. And Isaiah is writing about it. And then the fact that the world is in turmoil has created some national problems going on inside the southern kingdom, inside what we know as the nation of Judah. And so what's going on down there is there's been this time of prosperity. There's been a great deal of wealth, but with that wealth has come a great deal of corruption. Not only a great deal of corruption, but indulgence. People, it turns out, when you give them free time and money, they don't always use it wisely. Who knew? Can you imagine people of wealth not using their time and their resources wisely? It's, it's hard to imagine. And then because of what is going on in the world and what's going on in the nation, individuals have become people of great cynicism. They've decided that they don't trust very many people. They don't trust their leaders. They don't trust their priests. They don't trust the system. They don't trust justice. If you read the opening, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, it's pretty depressing. And Isaiah does this weird dance where for 39 chapters he talks about judgment and how the world's a mess and individuals are a mess. And he has this message, you ought to repent and get back on track. You ought to get back on track. And then suddenly at the end of chapter 39, it's like he has a new revelation. And he opens chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people. And now he'll speak massive amounts of prophetic work of comfort. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from my God, my cause is disregarded? Have you not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither does he grow weary? There's no end to his understanding. He gives power to the weak, and to the weary, he gives rest. Even the youth will faint and grow weary, and the young men stumble and fall. But those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. And he weaves this judgment and comfort together. And in the midst of what holds his prophetic work together are things we call the servant songs. That as he speaks judgment and as he speaks comfort, he always stops for a moment and breathes this prophetic word about what is to come. The first one appears for us in chapter 7. It's pretty long, about 14 verses, but what you know best is this verse. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. The second one comes in chapter 9. It's our text for this morning. Isaiah 9, 2, and then verses 6 and 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So I just want to share with you four thoughts on that little passage. Everybody still doing okay? Number one, this promise and this hope is for all shades of darkness. For all shades of darkness. We don't all have the same kind of shades of darkness. I mean, there's a lot of variety, a continuum from, you know, light gray to pitch black. Amen? Well, we can stop here until we all get together. I hear this. People will say to me, you know, They'll talk to me and they'll tell me things that are going on in their life and then they'll sort of realize that they're telling me things that are going on in their life and they'll say this. I hear this a lot. I know a lot of people have it worse than me. If only pain were relative. (laughs) Amen? I mean, we talk like that to ourselves, don't we? Well, my shade of darkness is not the shade of darkness that deserves attention. Somebody else has a darker shade of darkness, and therefore their shade of darkness is worse than mine. And then sometimes we go through the actual darkest shades of darkness, and then that has its own set of issues. This hope is for all the shades of darkness. It's for all of them. It's for every single person. So when you walked in here this morning, if you're listening online, if you listen later in the week... The reality is sometimes we think, I don't want to really bother God with my issues. I don't know that he's relevant. I don't know that it matters. I don't know that he listens to me. I don't know that my stuff fits into this cosmic dance that we're in. Maybe God cares about certain things that go on over at the church. Maybe he cares about world hunger. I don't know what he cares about exactly, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't care about me and the anxiety I carry around inside of me. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the deep Darkness, a new light is dawned. And it seems to me that what Isaiah wants to emphasize is it doesn't matter what shade of darkness you're in. This hope is for you. It is for you. It is for your story. It is for your thought process. It is for your emotions. It's for your spiritual journey. It's for where you are right now. If you believe, if you don't believe, if you're struggling, if you're uncertain, this is for all of those shades of darkness. All of them. All of them. And if you don't get anything else out of the Christmas season, you ought to walk through this season and go, this is for me. This is for me. That Christmas tree, for me. Those Christmas lights, for me. This story, this message, for me. God so loved the world. Not specific people in the world. Not not some people and not other people. God so loved the world that he sent his son And this message is for everyone and whatever shade of darkness you consider yourself to be in. This hope is for you. It's for you. And hope is nearer and simpler than you and I ever imagined. Number two. Not only are there shades of darkness, light works in all of them. It turns out that the cure for the problem is light. It doesn't matter if you just sort of at the dusk kind of time or if you're in total darkness, the light has a great deal to say about driving out the hopelessness and bringing life. 
And for you and I to stop and to just say, I'm going to lean into the light. I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to get rid of some things and I'm going to ask for things in this season. It matters. It has significance. And if I just ask myself this question, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much hope am I living in? i got to tell you, some days there's a lot of other stuff besides hope. Now, I know I'm the poster child for all the problems. And I know all you fine people out there aren't experiencing any of that, just me. You'll leave me up here talking and confessing and babbling all morning. It seems to me that if I really analyze what's inside me, there's some cynicism, there's some skepticism, and there's some fear, there's some anger, there's some bitterness. And if I could articulate, this is what I want for Christmas. I want hope. A strong confident expectation that God sees me and the one who began the good work in me will be faithful to see it through to completion. And not just my story, but the story of the people I live around and I live with and the people who live down the street and up the street and the people in Washington, D.C. <laughs> and Moscow the Ukraine, and every other spot on this planet. My hope is not in myself. My hope is not in the conditions of the world. My hope is not in the integrity of leaders. My hope is in the God of the universe who created this place and created the people in it. And my prayer is, I'm going to drink in the light. What I want for Christmas? I want light. I want light to drive the shades of darkness. I want a strong, confident expectation that God is going to do the work. And that means I'm going to have to get rid of some things. Because I bet as we walk out into this week, there's going to be, I bet we might not make the parking lot. If you parked over here, you might. If you parked over there, probably not. Before something sneaks in and you go, there's that cynicism. There's that attitude. There, there's that feeling. There it is. There's the fear. God, I want to get rid of that. I'm going to box that up and give it to somebody else. No, I don't want to do that. I'm going to box it up and throw it away. I can't just ask for stuff. I need to get rid of some stuff. And I need to do it moment by moment. Moment by moment. Number three, he's so available. I don't know, it seems to me that as Isaiah is writing, and he's giving us these little vignettes, you know, the servant song of chapter 7, uh, the virgin will conceiving a birth to a child, and you'll call his name Emmanuel. I mean, I think the people living in the chaos of world turmoil, and the nation's a mess, and they're depressed, and they're overwhelmed, and they don't trust each other. Or, uh, I think, you know, but you're going to have a baby. Doesn't seem like much of a cure. Like, yeah, that's what we need. That's exactly what we need. Here you go, God. Here's a great plan. Send a baby. That's what we want. And that's what we need. But it seems to me that maybe God tabernacle in human flesh is a message that says he's incredibly accessible to you and to me. 
We've uh, had uh, our granddaughter Natalie with us. She was with us last weekend. Her parents are over there. Um, Natalie is uh, an amazing little baby. She's not quite one yet. Um, she does cry, although you have to you have to be in the right place at the right time to hear her because it's very rare. She's a very happy child. We don't know what happened. <laughs> it's a very happy child. In fact, she's so happy that you can just sit her somewhere and she'll just be happy. Just sit her over there. Got stuff to do. You're good. And she will be. She'll just sit there. She'll sit in her jumper. She'll sit on her blanket. She'll just sit, and when you walk by, she'll smile at you. And if you're not careful, you can forget to hold her. You can forget that as cute as this is, it is not the same thing as picking her up and getting all up in her face and holding on to her. It's not the same. I think maybe God was tabernacled in human flesh and came as a baby because it is so easy for you and I to relate to the simplicity of just wrapping our arms and holding on. Something happens. Something that doesn't happen over there happens over here. Something different. <laughs> something changes. Physiologically, something changes. Psychologically, something changes. Emotionally, something changes. Spiritually, something changes. And what if the nearness and the simplicity of this hope in the season is stopping and taking time to just hold on? Just a simple act of closing off some doubt, discouragement, and opening up our arms and throwing them around the Christ child and just hanging on. Accessible. Simple. I don't know. I've been through a lot of theological training. Lots of information about what to pray and how to pray it. I've heard a lot of prayers in my life. Amen? My, my grandfather was a, a preacher in the Pilgrim Holiness Church. That is, that is as intimidating as it sounds. He's a guy that you went to the restaurant with him. You did not, I just would say on the way to my parents, do not ask Grandpa to pray. Do not do it. Well, you, can, you know he's not in town very often, you know. It's, it's, you know no, don't. Because you know what he would do? Crowded restaurant. Almighty God, we invite you to come. Fill this restaurant with your presence. Bless this food as we eat it together. I mean, it would be big. And loud. And I think about how we address God and how we relate to God and the words we speak and the things we say and the titles we give, all appropriate, but not very accessible. And some of us have been taught if we don't say it exactly right, if we don't do it exactly right, if we don't get all of the right nomenclature and all of the right, and in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood, and then God just won't hear us. He'll just be like, oh, nope, that's it. Nope. Try again tomorrow. God so loved the world that he sent his son in the form of a child because we all know how to hold a baby. We all know how to embrace the simplicity of that.
And this is a simple hope. It's simple for you and I to embrace the truth that he's so available. Finally, he's also so powerful. Isaiah doesn't leave it with the child being born. And the government will be on his shoulders. And of his reign and peace, there will be no end. It's not, it's not only this accessible tiny child. It's also the powerful God of the universe who comes to heal what is broken. Who comes to redeem and to restore. When is the last time you really believed that? About the world, about your story, about your walk, about the brokenness, about your shade of darkness. Because this light is for every shade of darkness. And it's so accessible to you and it's so accessible to me. But we're looking for hope in another place. We're looking for some kind of remedy to all the problems. We're looking for something that will solve all the issues. But it's simpler and it's nearer than we ever imagined. It turns out... That some noble in history can simply change his heart and take his position of power and wealth and use it for the good of people. And guess what happens? People identify it as hope. They create heroes out of it. They build statues and squares and churches in the name of a person who would do something so simple and yet so hopeful. And the God of the universe so loved us. You don't get much more privileged and powerful than that, that he became tabernacled in human flesh and dwelt among us. So that you and I could have hope. Here's my challenge to you as you enter this Advent season. That you could articulate right out loud. Maybe today you just want to sit down and write it down. This is what I want for Christmas. This is what I want for Christmas. And maybe you use these words. I want a strong and confident expectation in regard to these. And I can make a list of the issues in my life. I want a, I want a, a strong and confident expectation about this. I, want a, I am asking for a strong and confident expectation about this. I'm asking for a trusting and patiently waiting Remember what Paul, who hopes for what they already have, but if we do not yet have it, we wait for it patiently. That's what I want for Christmas. And here's what I'm going to get rid of. Fear. And it's going to come up, it's going to bubble up, and I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to get rid of that. I'm not going to be needing that. That's just cluttering up the garage. That is cluttering up my mind. It is stinking thinking. In Texas, we don't articulate that way. It's stinking thinking. See, it rhymes better. I'm going to get rid of that. And I'm going to get rid of some cynicism. I'm going to get rid of some gossip. I'm going to catch myself going, I, you know what? I probably don't need to be talking about this. I probably don't need to be saying this. I'm going to get rid of some stuff that weighs me down. Pray with me. God, in a moment we're going to sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, come to set your people free. And we know that that works cosmically. You intend to set us free, the world free, the processes of humanity, free the slaves, free the captives, heal the brokenhearted. We know the prophetic words. 
What we're sometimes not as good at is putting ourselves in that place. You didn't just come to do cosmic work. You came to do personal private work in each of our hearts and minds, in our story, in our life, in our family, in our needs, the very real needs. Whatever the shade of darkness it is that we see, whatever the fear is, whatever the nature of it might be. You came to be the light of the world, the light of life. So I'm praying over all the shades of darkness represented in this place, all the shades that are represented by those who are watching, uh, all the shades of darkness that are represented by folks who will watch through the course of this week. And I'm asking you to be personally involved that the remedy for all the shades of darkness is light, and you are the light of life. And we're inviting you. In this season, we're going to slow down and we're going to just hold the baby. Just going to hold the baby. Not going to pass. Not going to smile and wave. We're going to stop and get personal and interact and hold on tight and celebrate the birth of the incarnation of a loving God. We're going to embrace the simple hope. Come, thou long expected. Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.